The history of black slavery in the American continent can be defined by the persistent effort to resist their bondage. Only once, on August 21, 1791, on an island called San Domingue, did a group of slaves succeed in overthrowing their oppressors and the system that oppressed them. Under the shadow of the French Revolution, amid the Napoleonic Wars, and being the third major revolution in what would be considered the Atlantic Revolutions, during the Age of Revolutions. Slaves in the French Caribbean colony of Saint-Domingue revolted against what was considered at the time the harshest regime in the Americas. And what was a revolt which by most accounts, not just a slave rebellion, but a war on colonialism, and perhaps in many aspects, a race war. The slaves of Saint-Domingue became a free people. These free people formed the Republic, the Republic of Haiti. The struggle was not easy. No revolution ever is. Lasting for 12 years, the slaves of the colony were able to defeat the local whites, the soldiers of the French monarchy, a Spanish invasion, a British expedition of about 60,000 men, and later another French expedition under the command of Napoleon, resulting in the establishment of the first black state in the Western Hemisphere. Becoming the only successful slave revolt in history, the transformation of thousands trembling before a master into a people who organized themselves and defeated one of the greatest nations in their day, an epic saga of revolutionary struggle. On today's episode, we'll be looking at how and why this revolution, which was lost in time, started. The lives of the players involved and how the revolution shaped the world as much as its counterparts in France and the United States. I am Kareem, and on a conversation before the world ends, we'll be journeying to the Caribbean in the 18th century and look at the Haitian Revolution, the world's first ever slave rebellion. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to today's episode. I'm your host, Kareem. And I'm Eamon. And uh, welcome back. It's been, I think, a two-week absence since we last recorded. And yeah, pretty much had a vacation, so... Yeah, we're back at it, though, so let's let's get diving back into it, man. So, quick question, Aim. When it comes to... When you think of Haiti today, what comes to mind? What's the first thing that comes to mind? When you come to the humanitarian crisis that's happening there, especially with its, um, not just with all the damage that's been done, but how the UN mistreated the whole situation. So the uh, Haiti has become a example of the UN failing the nations it's supposed to protect. But that's uh, just the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of uh, the Haitian people in Haiti. Now, if I, if I remember correctly, was there a problem with uh, Haiti and uh, the United... Were they sex trafficking or something like and that? Apparently the United Nations Army that was sent to protect... Uh, there was a lot of like uh, rape, abuse, and if you want food, you have to do this kind of... That kind of stuff for resources, so... Well, uh, first of all, the disaster and the calamity was bad enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But just the way it was handled as well was in recent memory probably quite shocking. 
Yeah, because I kind of remember something along the lines of uh, sexual like sexual abuse from like peacekeepers during exactly yeah yeah the military sent there and all that yeah. And we can't forget that the Clintons have exploited the country for their foundation. Exactly. Yeah. So Haiti has become an example of a humanitarian crisis milked out of its existence. Uh, that's the first thing that comes to my mind with Haiti as well. Um, so what do you know about the revolution that created the Republic of Haiti? Yeah, I, I do know that they. it was the first and the ripple effects that it caused afterwards was revolutions across the Americas. I think we briefly discussed it before when we were talking about the... Um, the and our first topic about Russia, uh, Russian imperialism and all that, and nationalism. Sorry, yeah, our, like. our episode zero. Yeah, yeah. that's um, it's not aired, right? No, no, no. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So, so we did talk about nationalism and we covered Haiti and how uh, the sense of what well, was just uh, African national uh, people uh, sent over to lands that wasn't theirs, mm-hmm. but the community and their belief was still there. Yeah, and it showed how it overpowered the French, who were also people there and land that wasn't theirs. And uh, yeah, and the Haitians came on top. Yeah, it's kind of a complicated story. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of twists and turns, as you'll see. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Funny that you bring up the episodes here. So we did have an episode on nationalism. I mean, besides like a select few and maybe the Danish fans, no one really knows about this episode. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever release it. It's because uh, it's such a long topic, but it's a good thing. Cause like, like I said, I made a kind of a poll on Instagram. Everyone wanted to do a revolution topic. This has always been lingering since that episode. Yeah, for sure. And um, let's, uh, let's get started. Do you want to hear a story about Haiti before the revolution? Let's hear it. So part one. On the cold days of December in 1492, Christopher Columbus, who was taking subsequent voyages around the islands of the New World, landed on the Caribbean, which other natives had told him was rich with yellow metal, gold. You see, Mr. Powers, I love gold. The look of it, the taste of it, the smell of it, the texture. Upon arriving on this island, one of his ships had been wrecked, and the locals rushed to help him, help him and his crew that most of the articles of the ship were able to be saved, and none of which were stolen by the natives. Thanking them for their help, Columbus ended up annexing the whole land, which he named Little Spain or Hispaniola, and took the natives under the protection of Spain, which of course meant the introduction of slavery and Christianity. And he forced them to work into mines, and of course, with time, there will be accusations of murder, rape, disease and artificial famine yeah screw screw christopher columbus huh yeah he was pretty much a monster at this point i'm glad our history books have agreed with it agrees with it now yeah i don't know but there's been some white like this it goes back and forth right there is whitewashing on christopher columbus uh, his impact in history should be studied but it shouldn't be praised or celebrated true that's true yeah i mean just like hitler just like Stalin, just like all these other guys, right? Yeah, exactly. And I don't think there should be a, na- a, a day named after him, Columbus. Exactly, day. yeah, yeah. So I'm happy that that's becoming known now. Well, like we said, so Spain pretty much came and introduced Christianity, forced labor, murder, rape, disease, and artificial famine. You know, typical European protection of this century, right? Yeah. In the 15 years since the establishment of Hispaniola, the native population fell from about half a million to 60,000. Damn. Exactly. Now I'm going to butcher a bunch of names, but here we go. Las Casas, a Dominican priest at the time, 
grew some somewhat of a conscience and kind of got rid of the slave slaves that he had or the native slaves that he had and traveled to Spain to plea for the ab- abolition of slavery to the king of uh, to the king of Spain but of course how can a colony build itself without slaves right yeah i mean that's the age old question right no colony has ever been built without slaves so the spanish government compromised and it abolished the fir- the forced labor of the native indians or the native americans Las Casas, also seeing the horrors of the actions, opted. Um, he decided to opt for a solution to let's meet halfway, right? He's like, instead of taking natives from their land and using them as slavery, let's import them from abroad. So he's kind of in the midway conscious, like, yeah, slavery is bad, but it's, just not the local population. He probably cared about the natives, but didn't care about humans. Yeah, it's a very weird, um, yeah, kind of like a double standard almost. Mm-hmm. So he decided to come up with the noble idea of importing black slaves from Africa. Kind of known that the Portuguese were the first ones considered to start the slave trade. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always been that. But but the Portuguese were the first to buy Western African slaves from slave owners instead of raiding them and importing them. Mm-hmm. But the first ever complete voyage of the slavery from Africa to Americas was done by Spain. So okay. Portugal would buy them, yeah. send them to Portugal, and then from Portugal abroad to the Americas. Spain was the first one to make the triangular trade. Mm-hmm. By 1526, the first African slaves completed their first voyage. And anyways, this proves like Lacasse's main concern was not really to end slavery per se, but he was more concerned with the physical abuse of the native population. So he tried to justify this result by saying that it was a just war to invade Africa because mm-hmm. they were converting pagans to Christianity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we could cover about the ideas of just war in the future, but it's this idea that there's a manifest destiny for, for you to go and uh, civilize these people. Yeah, we will see it manifest in different ways. If it's not through the issues of Christianity or Islam, or it will come down to f- democracy today. In 1517, Charles V authorized the export of 15,000 slaves to San Domenico from Africa. So pretty much, a priest and a king launched the world's first ever American slave trade. In 16, now we're gonna jump 100 years, okay? Sure. In 1629, pretty much some wandering Frenchmen wanting to seek another home found a little island called Tartuga, which if you know Breaking Bad, you know what that means. Turtle. Yeah, about six miles off the north coast of San Domenico. They kind of settled there. And then the English would follow and so would the Dutch. Pretty much this island became kind of like a rogue state where people would go and buccaneer there. They would become pirates. It's a healthy and forested area filled with a lot of wild cattle that people could use to be sold for food or hides. Uh, Tortuga became like a refuge, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of criminals who wanted to escape would go onto this island people who owed debt would go to this island and pretty much pirates would end up settling there and for 30 years there's been a lot of infighting between pirates from all three countries trying to take control of this island and at some point it also fell to the British hands which would have been a good what if Marvel episode Mm-hmm. What if uh, Brazil, uh, what if England took over uh, Haiti? It would have been a different case, yeah. Exactly. But by 1659, the French had pretty much laid claim to the island, right? And it became Caesarean to the French and pretty much had claim of San Domenico. Fun fact, the Spanish would try to drive away the French by trying to slaughter all the cows in the area. So it could drive the, it could kill the main income for the country, right? France would retaliate to this uh, slaughter of cattle by cultivating the land, starting with cocoa and then indigo. And then, of course, the mother of all slave plants plantations cotton so in 1659 the treaty of Ryswick between france and spain gave france a legal right to the western part of the island which they named was san domingo which is pretty much the french version of san domingo yep. in 1734 the colonists moved to cultivating coffee and the demand was there man coffee was in such high demand back then but they needed more labor for this emerging market they had 
At first, the French had black slaves imported from Africa, but also white people who would work as servants, but the, but the condition was they'd be able to be slaves for seven years until they earned their quote-unquote freedom, Yeah, which were kind of like 50-50. So you had 50% white slaves working, 50% African slaves working. But the white slaves had an out. Yeah, they had a seven-year labor contract, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if anything, the French were actually against bringing slaves from Africa. They saw them as barbaric people, uncivilized, monstrous almost that who couldn't be civilized enough to cultivate land. But when sugar came to the mix and with the ever-expanding emerging capitalism at the time, cultivating land was becoming a necessity. You needed a lot of labor to cultivate land, right? And also white laborers at the time were complaining drastically about the climate. It didn't suit them. So more slaves were being bought from Africa, going up by thousands and thousands and thousands. Yep. So this brings us to part two. What was life like for a slave in the West Indies? Slaves used to live in quarters that were built on the lowest part of the property owned, right? And they were subjugated to the complete overcrowdedness and excessive heat. And it was men, women, kids, old and young, all alike, right? They would work until the crack of dawn till 10 to 11 p.m. Non-stop, man. Non-stop. A Swiss traveler who was pretty much uh, visiting at the time described what he saw. And he described it the following, and I quote, There were about 100 men and women of different ages, all occupied in digging ditches in a cane field. The majority of them naked or at least covered with rags. The sun shone down with full force on their heads. Sweat rolled from all parts of their bodies, their limbs, weighed down by the heat. Fatigued with the weight of their picks and by the resistance of the clayly soil baked hard enough to break their implements. Strained themselves to overcome every obstacle. A mournful silence reigned. Exhaustion was stamped on their faces, but by the hour of rest had not come. Pitiless eyes of the manager patrolled the gang and several foremen, armed with the long whips moved periodically between them, giving stinging blows to all who... Worn out by fatigue, were compelled to take a rest, men or women, young and old. So they were work like animals, house like animals, and their huts were about 20... They're literally treating them like horses. Yeah, exactly. 12 feet wide and 15 feet high. This is the quarters they lived in. It was always windows, windowless, and the floors was pretty much just soil. And their beds were made out of straws. You can imagine the disease. Exactly. And pretty much women, mothers, fathers, children all slept indiscriminately next to one another. Uh, Louis XIV passed a decree in 1785, which kind of tried to like, define the conditions of slavery in the French colonies. It was called the Code Noir. Uh, it was an attempt to ensure a humane treatment for the slaves. It, it would cover topics like such as like how, to, how they should live and how they could, uh, what they're entitled to eat. They were also recommended, or he at least recommended that all slaves would be converted to Catholicism. I don't know what was the obsession, but I guess... I guess the idea that, uh, I mean, in a two-way street, uh, if they become Christians, they'll be treated better, and maybe the slave owners would have a bit more sympathy with them, and then they get a a place in heaven by converting people to Christianity, too. So it's probably a combination of both of those. Perhaps, yeah. And also it outlined the rules and regulations for any freed people of color uh, who were otherwise free to pursue their own careers, right? which kind of made France somewhat better compared to its like European counterparts when it came to slavery. At least they put like a... He tried. Yeah, but um, it's one thing to have laws written down. It's another thing if it was enforced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, slaves would die in the thousands. Epidemics broke out. They were barely fed a few potatoes a day. Maybe even if they were drinking water, that was their luck. Um, some ran away and fled into the woods and some just ruined their plantations on purpose, right? Now, before we, we start, I want to give a trigger warning. There's going to be a lot of depictions of cruel violence 
coming from this point on. If you are sensitive to conversations about punishments, um, severe violence, then this is your trigger warning, I guess. The slaves, like I said, some of them who ran away or some of them who destroyed the plantations on purpose, they were kind of caught and they were punished. And man, the French really went out all the way when it came to cruelty, right? They would pretty much tie slaves to blocks of wood where they would have to drag with them all day long. Uh, they would also have to wear a tin plate mask uh, designed just to prevent slaves from eating sugar canes. They would wear an iron collar that you could imagine the heat would start burning. Whippings were always interrupted with um, salt or pepper or alloys being put into wounds. So you'd get whipped until your, sc- your skin opened. They would put salt into it and continue whipping you from there. Of course, mutilations were common. Um, they would mutilate limbs, ears. Private parts were mutilated too. To Damn gruesome stuff yeah uh, private parts were mutilated too so they could um, forbid sex between slaves uh, wax was poured onto the arms and hands of slavers uh, sl- sorry slaves boiling sugar canes over their heads some were roasted on slow fires um, and then they tried and then I don't know how like how these torture methods come up but at some point they started filling slaves with gunpowder put a match on them and of course gunpowder reacting to fire they literally just started like exploding them and experimenting with their masochism and their lust for pain through yeah. these people because they thought they weren't human. Exactly. Uh, some slaves were buried up to their necks and then their heads would be smeared with sugar. Uh, so For ants? Or? For ants or flies to come feed on them. It's messed up. Sometimes uh, if flies weren't, flies weren't available, ants, wasps would replace the flies. Uh, some were made to eat their own excrements, drink their own urine, urine of other slaves. So suicide was such a common habit, right? Like... No hope for humanity at this point, right? Yeah. But this was the life of the slave at that point in France, right? Mm-hmm. And this is like when you're going to get to the economic portion of the, sl- of the show, where we describe, um, so maybe trigger warning if you don't like economics. But the populations of slaves in 1687 were about 3,358, okay? So within 20 years, so by 1708, yeah, 1708, it would increase to 9,082. By the mid-century, so by 1750, Right, 50 years after, the, the population would jump from 9,082 to 150,000 slaves. Uh, so it's like they, they thought the method worked and they just kept doing it. Yep. There's something more fucked about that, like later on I'll explain. And so compared, there was 150,000 slaves, right? Compare that to the white population, the white population made about 14,000. So in 30 so they were literally serving more than the people like... Who are there. So each white person probably had how many slaves? That's maybe... F- like seven slaves to one something like that something like that you're talking or maybe even like 11 to one almost Uh, in 30 years 90% like so in seven by 1780 90% of the whole population were slaves okay so how come by 1700s there was a boom in the population and the economy of the region right so it France became the most dominant producer of sugar and coffee in the area and in the world as well the number of plantations even saw a spike in numbers. So, for example, in the four years between 1700 and 1704, the number went from 18 to 120 plantations. Mm-hmm. Okay? In 1713, there was about 138 plantations. 77 plantations in the north region, which fo- focused only solely on sugar, mm-hmm. and uh, which ca- causing a sugar boom and created a rush for people to move to Saint-Domingue, a scheme to get rich quick. Yeah. This created a class of white people who pretty much just what happened is there was a lot of people migrating from France who decided to test the luck, but they couldn't. So you had a population of white people in France, in uh, Saint-Domingue, who by all accounts could not afford a plantation. So they ended up being the poor white class 
off then off the area so the classes structure started building so it started yeah it started to somewhat form right they they resorted to crime if you if you wanted a big plantation chances are you'd most likely take out a loan from a merchant in france before you travel just to kick things off right of course the plantation would be the collateral mm-hmm. if the loans were not paid so the merchants would end up owning uh, owning the plantation that caused merchants to own the plantations in San Domingue and this is important to know making them also a lot more wealthier right so how would the merchant in France look after his plantation in Haiti well it was simple he would hire a salaried administrator and an overseer and sometimes they'll usually have a freed black person who would work as the overseer, who would be um, kind of, in a way, Samuel Jackson's character. Got you. This attracted young men to apply for these positions from France, and they would travel to Haiti, right? Mm -hmm. By 1776, one observer on the island noted that there was a misery of white people in the island who arrived with no skills and ended up on the side of the roads dying. They were just trying to test their luck, you know? Migration. Yeah. Uh, This new land, they're like, it's the new get-rich-quick scheme. Mm-hmm. And they would go and it would like they would not work out for them. Keep in mind that of this white class of people, right? Because they will come later on. This also kind of caused more problems because a lot of white people who were living in Canada or the French parts of Canada decided to move to Haiti once uh, Britain, once France uh, gave succession to Britain to take over, right? In 1763. Okay, so it was a, a refuge place for them, yeah, the white exactly. people, yeah. Haiti became, um, so the Caribbean became France's main go spot for fortune in the Americas, right? Mm-hmm. And man... To be honest, you, you wouldn't think it now, but Haiti was the richest colony in the continent. There was a new form of crop, like we said, coffee and sugar, right? They both boomed and they made Haiti the richest place on the planet. Like wow. France's economy was solely built on these products, sugar and coffee. All from the Haitians. All from the Haitians. And it was coffee, what was cool about like, or what was cool to buy coffee? What was interesting about coffee was that it was a less expensive startup compared to sugar. Mm-hmm. And that coffee could be grown on mountainous regions, right? Yeah. And which also benefited from the geography because Haiti is pretty much 60% mountainous. Mm-hmm. So anyone could find a plot of land and plant coffee. Yeah. So to add to that, like France got rich and they got filthy rich by the end of the century. You were rich. I am rich. Seriously fucking rich. They were exporting as much sugar to the world as Jamaica, Cuba and Brazil combined. And they exported 60% of the world's coffee supplies. So 60% of the market was France's market to dominate when it came to coffee. Hence, to meet the demand and the ever-growing demand, you need supply. And to get more supply, you need labor. And the more labor meant more slaves and slaves had to come from... It's free labor, yeah. We just described the whole brutality of the the Spanish... (laughs) The French. The French. The life expectancy of a slave was somewhere between 7 to 14 years. Due to overwork, abuse, and lack of like even reproduction, yeah. there was no generational slavery, right? So they had to keep importing more slaves from Africa. Uh, yes, yeah, because they couldn't exactly. They were, even made sure they couldn't mate, right? So mm. constant supply. So what you had was that Saint Domingue became pretty much the centerpiece of the Atlantic slave system. I mean, we we focus so much on America and the United States that we forget that France was pretty much like they outbeat the United States when it came to slavery. Mm-hmm. The only reason that um, we'll come back to later why America remember this because America ended slavery later. You know yeah, yeah I mean? they were one of the last ones. So how it works is they'll plant the sugar and the coffee. It will be sent to France where France will re-export it to European countries. They can't export sugar and coffee from the Caribbean itself. They have to take it all the way to France where France will then sell it back to the world. Ah, oh, shit. Here we go again. Good old-fashioned capitalism for you. 
So merchants would buy it cheap from from the plantations, right? Mm -hmm. So merchants of France would buy it from like pennies from the plantations, and then they would mark up the prices, and then once it got to France, and they would sell it for a higher price. This was France's bread and butter, pretty much. A whole nation depended on colonies to make them money. So this created a new class of bourgeoisies, right? The merchant bourgeois. Mm-hmm. And these merchant bourgeois, the more they kept getting richer, the more they started having infightings with the old regime of nobles and monarchs mm-hmm. who were pretty much controlling the country as well. Yeah. This would also create some a lot of tension, which would lead to a very, let's just say, a small revolution in France later on. Yeah. From what you can see is that the slaves of Saint-Domingue inadvertently helped to lay the foundations of the French Revolution by creating a new class of merchants who got, who got wealthy on their backs. You see how the world becomes cyclical in a moment. French ships would usually disembark in the port called Le Cap. Mm-hmm. And that was, like the, that was considered the capital of Haiti or Saint-Domingue at the time. So passengers would land there, they would descend into smaller boats and they would be taken to harbor. Uh, a ship arriving from France meant that European products were coming back to them. So they would start having more European garments, European pottery. Uh, um, and more importantly, news. They would get a lot of news of what's happening in Europe. Mm-hmm. And which would then be taken and put in the local paper. La Cap, like we said, was the capital of the island. It was a kind of a mid-sized city, somewhere between like a population of 18,000 people, right? Yep. Several thousand soldiers and the rest were all slaves. And it was considered the cultural center of the island, right? But racial segregation was so important to that area. The city was also home to a lot of free black men from African descent who would later become prominent revolutionary leaders. The whole island was also divided into two other provinces. You had the north, which was, like I said, had Le Cap. The second, the western part of the colony, which also had the second most uh, wealth. And this is where they had the city called Port-au-Prince, which would become the new capital of Haiti today. And it was considered the second largest town at the time that um, they could harbor a future on. So France sponsored an irrigation project in that way, and they put a lot of slaves to building canals that would irrigate the land in the West. Mm -hmm. A lot was going on. Yeah, yeah. So that became a hub for sugar plantation, right? Yeah. 314 sugar plantations in the Western provinces popped up. Around this region, you had 1,800 plantations, 500 cotton, 800 coffee. Like I said, 314 sugar. So you can see how many slaves were ended up getting... Constantly, yeah. It's a constant flow. And then there was the southern part of Haiti, kind of cut off from the western part by mountains. And it was the least developed part, you know? It had about like 191 plantations, 300 coffee and 900 indigo. It was also the last to be settled by the French and also kind of remained the most isolated from France. I guess the furthest to get there, yeah. Exactly. But it was connected to Jamaica, Mm -hmm. which was also under the control of the English. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaning that they traded heavily and illegally with the Brits and as well as the Spanish. So okay. people started profiting from that trade, which includes a man named Julian Raymond, who had become an important figure in the Haitian Revolution. Mm-hmm. Geography is the mother of history after all, right? Yeah. This leads us to part three, the end of the 18th century. In 1777, crowd gathered in the main plaza of La Cap to watch a hanging of a ship captain who was being convicted for stealing, right? Mm. And when the trap door opened, the rope snapped and the captain fell to the floor and he cried grace and the crowd chanted along with him that like this is clearly a miracle that he wasn't meant to die from god yeah and that he should be let free some countries do do that right egypt does that yeah if you hang someone and somehow the rope cuts or he survives it's meant to be be. but the executioner was also prepping to hang him again Mm -hmm. and that's when the captain resisted and he kept like fighting going up against on the platform and that's when the crowd erupted and attacked the executioner and when the police came in to stop the attacks, they were met with rocks. And the executioner was attacked. Uh, fun fact, the executioner had a pet mouse in his pocket and it was left unharmed. 
Yeah, good people. Yeah. The port towns of the Atlantic were notorious for sedition, man, and revolts in San Domingo was no exception. They always dealt with riots broke out every two seconds. On November 1723, if you could go back a bit, a crowd of 100 people attacked Mission de l'Afrique, the after, uh, de l'Afrique mm-hmm. or the African, ma- uh, African mansion. Freak. Mansion. Mm-hmm. The island set. Did you say freak? <laughs> the island seat. <laughs> The mansion was considered like the island seat of a powerful company of the Indies. The day after the riot grew, which was caused by an uprising uh, triggered by the fact that the company was getting more trade privileges compared to the merchants who were living there. As always, you know, like globalization today, they get tax cuts while people had to pay their fair share. Yep. The revolt was so widespread that the governor briefly considered offering freedom to slaves of those who were revolting in order to attack the white people they were who was protesting. So this was a pretty much a merchant's revolt. White people were revolting against the governor. It's all about money there, right, for those people. Exactly. It's not about loyalty. So many of the revolts at the time weren't so much about slaves, but landowners who wanted more freedom from the French government, right? Yep. In 1780, the admins at the colonial ministry in Paris, upon hearing about these, uh, these uprisings, passed a royal decree that was meant to improve the conditions of slaves, right, in the Caribbean, by adding more provisions and by acquiring plantation owners to start registering their products and their slaves. They also tried to improve the Code Noir, like we mentioned, mm-hmm. by granting slaves Saturday and Sunday half days yeah. and allowing for more improvements of food and that slaves had the right to raise complaints about their masters, you know, and if they have suffered any abuse, they had the right to complain about it. Yeah. Of course, white people at the time were, like today, they're always upset when black people get the upper hand at something publicly attacked the new regulations and deemed it irresponsible. They said, you're effectively placing the white man in chains. And they said that you're attacking the sacred right of property. Shout out to capitalism, right? So the court at La Cap, kind of hearing about these news from the, from the government and fearing that it would cause more uprising in uh, San Domingue from the white plantation owners, mm-hmm. refused to uh, pass the decree. So they refused to improve the lives of slaves, right? That's when Versailles changed the capital from the Cap to Port-au-Prince. If you're wondering why did the capital end up changing, that's why. Okay. Uh, the government also administered the monopoly, meaning that only ships from France could trade with Haiti at the time or Saint-Domingue. After all, they were protected by the French Navy, right? So the French's argument was like, we are protecting you. You're only allowed to trade with us. And it was French ships that were buying slaves and bringing it to the island. So yeah, so pretty much it's only like the theory goes that like if we are providing you with everything you need, you have to provide us with everything you have. Okay. Uh, but of course, there was problems, Matt. Friendships were constantly late and failed to deliver sufficient supplies. They're always late in providing slaves. And the plantation was ever expanding. And because of like the harsh treatment, they were pretty much slaves were dying. So, so labor was getting low. Pretty much the plantation owners flooded the market with exports. And the fact that the French merchants were paying less for them compared to other places. Like imagine like the fact that you're in the Americas, right? You're in the cent- Central America. You can't trade with any island on the continent unless you have to send the ships back to France, where then yeah. France will send it back to the islands. It's, Make, it was like no, su- illogical, yeah. It was such an illogical system at best. Yeah. Um, like I said, the southern province would, would illegally sell sugar and coffee to Jamaica mm-hmm. in exchange for slaves. So they would barter slaves for sugar and coffee. One of them would be called Bookman. He's kind of an important figure, so keep that in mind, okay? He would become uh, one of the leaders of the slave revolt in 1791. He came from Jamaica. Now, where are we? So now, pretty much in the wake of the Seven Years' War, which was kind of like considered the first, first, first... I wonder why they called him Bookman. (laughs) I wonder if he was like a well-versed and they just called him that. It's spelled B-O-U-K. Okay. Bookman? 
Bookman. All right, cool, cool, yeah. Um, so in the wake of the Seven Years' War, mm-hmm. which was kind of considered the proto-First World War, because it was like pretty much a global affair. Mm-hmm. And again, after the American Revolution, which kind of came through, uh, it opened a way for more intensive trades between North America and San Domingue, right? Mm-hmm. Administrations made concessions to planters and loosened the monopoly regulations during the Seven Year War, allowing for foreign ships to trade with certain goods with the Caribbean ports. But they also excluded some products. There are some products they really needed the, the monopoly on it, like sugar. Mm-hmm. So they imposed a very heavy import tax, right? Uh, but people would illegally sell as it is. Now, keep that in mind that some of the whites who, who lived and settled in Haiti would pretty much have kids who grew up there who had more in common with like the English Jamaican kids than they did with French people. Okay. You know, I mean, like... If you they think were neighbors, of, yeah. Yeah, think about it. So, like, you ha- you'll have more in common with them if you're like a third-generation white dude growing up in uh, Haiti. Yeah. You'll have more in common with a white Jamaican dude born even though you come from this different ancestral tree, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's kind of important because when the 13 colonies of the United States revolted mm-hmm. against the wealthiest empire at the time, the wealthiest of the British colonies at the time, many of the Caribbean people did not join in, but they were kind of had an eye open for it. Okay. Because you're literally on the same continent, right? Yeah. They kind of saw the American Revolution as a way of like solidified that um, we could have an independence. Could from, overthrow the people, yeah. From other country, right? But many slaves also would uh, would see the American Revolution or like at least freed black people would see the American Revolution as a sign of things to come. But as you know, the American Revolution only solidified slavery. Yep. Instead of joining... Of Didn't help them out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Fun fact, um, a lot of slaves did join the British during the American Revolution. That's random. I think they thought that the British were more relaxed when it comes to slavery compared to their American counterparts. Mm-mm. So in contrast, what you have is like in Saint-Domingue, a lot of slaves were becoming, uh, more, like, were becoming more aware of the class divisions that made up their island. For instance, um, they would use terms such as the petite blanc or the white, a little white, where the name of the white people who did not own any land or who considered the poor white people. And the richest white people were called the white white or the blanc blanc. <laughs> Uh, are those who own property. And these would be the, the local vocab of the area, of the land. By that time, the slaves were getting, their lives were getting worse and worse, while their managers or the white whites were getting richer and richer, right? Yeah. And slaves at that time were dying from hunger, despite an overabundance of food being produced, which were all kept to feed livestock or anyone who wasn't black at the time. Like, no shits were given at all, man. In the end, the plantations remained had to remain productive. There were the brutality suffered by the slaves who escaped to mountainous regions. Pretty much, uh, they would be retaliated so severely as to make an example out of them. Those who did were successful in escaping. They were called the Maroons, who pretty much uh, would go off the grid and live off the grid. One of the leaders was called Francois Macandel, a Haitian voodoo priest who was known for killing slave owners. He would be later captured and burnt alive by colonial authorities, and he'd become somewhat of a legend that would inspire It's kind of like the Wild West over there. Yeah, who'd kind of become the legend of the revolution, right? Mm -hmm. By 1789, the most profitable colony in the world had a slave population of about 500,000 people. Wow. But how many people were being imported till then, right? About a million slaves had been imported from the beginning of the 1700s. So in 89 years, millions of people had come in, only 500,000 remained. Remained, huh. Mortality rates was ridiculous. Exactly. And half of them, like I said, they would die within the first few years. Children making up the bulk of the deaths that they were seen as a short-term gain by by their masters. Like it was cheaper for a slave to die quicker and then importing another one than keeping a slave ripe for their own old age. Terrible. So most of the slaves in Saint-Domingue were African-born. Rarely would you find a second generation or a third generation African slave. There. There, exactly. 
the best you could do is maybe a second generation, a son of an African slave, you know? And many, like, of the, I think they called them the Creoles, if I'm not mistaken, anyone who is, like, from the Caribbean. They were, they were only a generation away from Africa. So it's, like, ingrained in They were brain. always fresh, yeah. yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Everyone was pretty much a generation away from where they came from. Like we said, they were also free people of color, right? Mm-hmm. How do you become a free person of color? You had to buy your own freedom. And many of them would eventually own plantations by taking out loans. Some of them would serve in the military or the police. They were pretty loyal to the French regime. Like a lot of free black people were loyal to, the, to France, uh, but faced a lot of racism as white people started seeing them as competition. They could yeah, take over the merchant roles, especially. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Free colored people in Saint-Domingue also had the benefit of being immune to the diseases of the island compared to French people who were coming, who were moving in, mm-hmm. they outlasted them, right? So you, you had a multi-class system where you had the rich white, the poor whites, the merchants, and then you had uh, the slave black people, and then you also had the... Free people. Yeah. The, it's a convoluted class system. Yeah, yeah. And I'm guessing it was in the hierarchy of skin tone, but then the lower class white people were worried about the upper... Class black people. Black people. Like what you see today things have not really changed have they you know what i mean Mm -mm. so a lot of black people who were not able to advance economically ended up joining the military that was their best next option right so imagine if you had a colony where pretty much predominantly are black people who like we said are only a generation away from from their fathers being slaves defending the island Mm. this would also undermine a lot of white things and this would also lead to the first fires of the Haitian Revolution. For sure. Now, I don't know if you've heard of the term mulatto before. Yeah, yeah. You know what it means? I think it's mixed, uh, uh, like uh, mixed race kids. Yeah. Okay, so mulattoes also were, were, also fell in with them as well. They were the most educated. They were mostly educated in France. And they would either return or they would stay in, uh, on the island. A famous mulatto, I guess, or famous mixed race person is, uh, the writer of the Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, Alexander Dumas. So pretty much just like the rise of the bourgeoisie in France at the time, Saint-Domingue also saw a kind of um, a rise also in a new merchant class as well. Mm-hmm. And it kind of began to start coinciding with the regime in France. So like what was happening in France was mon- was kind of happening in uh, Saint-Domingue, you know? Okay, in these colonies, yeah. Yeah. So you had to deal with royalist bureaucracy, in- incompetent implementation of rules, mismanagement of finances, uh, the country was bleeding dry from aristocrats. We had new classes of people emerging who kind of wanted out of the ideal. Started developing it into its own nation rather than being just a a factory, well, what, what France wanted it to be, yeah. By late 1788, Louis XV called for the election of representative at the Estat General, right? Mm-hmm. To help resolve the urgent budget crisis that was happening in France, which was caused in part by him trying to support the American Revolution, thinking that by helping the American Revolution, he could stamp out British existence from the colonies. But it bled France dry. What was the Estat General? Well, it was kind of the three major bodies or the three major estates of France. So you had the aristocracy, the clergy, and the third estate, mm-hmm. which was meant to represent the majority of the people. The problem is, like we mentioned, the representatives of the third estate were mer- rich merchants who profited off the plantation and the slave trades. People are hoping that, the, or a lot of mulattoes, or freed colored of people were hoping that the third estate would help to push the agenda of ending slavery or to improve the lives of slaves. But you kind of had a merchant class who benefited from slaves who also did not really want to see the end of slavery. So, so there was a lot of personal interest there, yeah. Exactly. But So on 1788, French planters arrived in Paris and asked for a represent, like they wanted a representation across. So they asked that the third estate to have a colonial representation. 
right? Mm-hmm. And this is one of the reasons why the American Revolution started, by the way, like not to get too sidetracked, but pretty much the British monarchy were, or the British parliament were making choices that did not take into consideration any of the American colonies. And they kind of felt like sidestepped a lot because uh, like they're like, okay, we're paying all this heavy tax, but we're not getting a say in parliament. Anyway, so where were we? As you know, the story of the French Revolution, right? The third estate, which was kind of controlled by the merchant bourgeois, hated the fact that they had to vote in order. So it meant like the, the aristocracy would vote first and then the clergy would vote second. And they would always outvote the third estate, which meant that pretty much they could not pass any laws that would go against the aristocracy or the old regime, which kind of finally sparked the French Revolution, right? Yeah. (laughs) And that would lead for the National Assembly to write and adopt the Declaration of the Rights of Man, which was pretty much the first article stated, men are born and remain equal in rights. The free black people hoped that this would imply or apply or be... Exactly, to the colonies as well. Which pretty much scared the hell out of the implanters because they're like, if everyone was born and remains equal in rights, then... We can't do what we're doing. Exactly. Uh, They kind of banned any mulatto or any black person who was in France at the time to come into the island. They also banned any letters from France to arrive to the colonies. But of course, you can't really keep all this information controlled or from circulation. It will eventually find its way to to them. And when the news of Bastille being stormed and how Bastille fell, Many celebrated by pillaging and setting fires to their towns. Political clubs were created and formed uh, to stop this. Property owners jumped off um, setting their own assemblies, pretty much to run and control the country. They did not want to take any officials from the royalists. Many royal government workers fled the island as a result of the revolution. As a result, all the white people living on the island had the right to vote for their official, no matter who they were, right? There was only one rule. You just had to be white. There was a rumor that the king of France and his friends had abolished slavery, uh, but the local government were conspiring to suppress this decree, which caused an uprising. Uh, uprising. <laughs> caused uprising. an uprising. What you have now is a revolution in the mainland, right? So like people are now beginning to uprise and they're like saying, wait one second, there's laws have been changing, but nothing's been... Uh, nothing's changed. Exactly. Uh, white people would go around and start lynching Black people who they thought were conspiring. Crazy paranoia. Exactly. So there was a witch hunt and anyone who supported the abolition of slavery. Uh, The thing is, many people in Paris were pretty much receptive to the idea of freedom. Of They kind of understood it to be um, a universal thing that every man was born free, right? Mm -hmm. But also there was limits placed on the citizenship. So what makes you a French citizen? Are slaves considered a French citizen? Mm-hmm. planters they push for a policy that says that Paris would have no say on colonial issues since they're not here they can't they can't be fit people start thinking about it more especially because of the transfer of information and their neighboring countries and hearing what's going on so exactly and what you have is white people they're saying that we need to make our own assembly independent of France because France can't really give us the right like how can they govern us if they're so far away yeah so we need to make an independent body that's kind of cut from Paris, right? Mm-hmm. They would understand slavery from their own experience. Like we could understand slave problems because we've dealt with slaves, you know? Mm-hmm. On March 1790, the National Assembly pr- approved of the formation of a specialized colonial committee which gave white plantation owners the ability to protect their interests and pretty much that destroyed any hope for slaves. Freedom. Yeah. A lot of notable French people of, of French, <laughs> notable free people of color, most notably, like I mentioned, Julian Raymond, would become active in trying to appeal to France for more civil equality. Uh, Raymond used the French Revolution to make this the major colonial issue of the National Assembly. Mm -hmm. Um, He would be joined by other people who demanded the right to vote under the Declaration of Rights of Man. 
uh, when the colonial governor re- uh, refused, a man named Vincent Ogg they led the brief 300-man insurgency in the area around the capital, fighting to end the racial discrimination in the area. He was captured in 1791 and was brutally executed by being broken on the wheel. I think you, I think you had the image of how that works, right? Yeah. Uh, before being beheaded. Now, Og wasn't really fighting for slavery, but he was. He wasn't fighting for the end of slavery, but rather he wanted. Um, but he wanted like uh, more lack of discrimination against free black people. But either or, his treatment was cited uh, later by slave rebels as one of the main factors for the for their like the spark that lit the fire, right? But at that time, you didn't have really a conflict between slaves and masters, but you had a conflict between white people and free black people. And this was the main contention. Like, free black people, like, since we're free, we paid for our own freedom. We have the right to a citizenship. We should be treated equally. Exactly. And with the rising amount of insurrections on white plantation owners, the French Revolution or the National Assembly tried to compromise with black free people of color, eventually, after the death of Vincent Ogg. And uh, they decided that if you were born free black parents who were both free, like the husband and the wife had to be free people as well, you have the right to citizenship. Which pretty much enraged, again, the white people, of course, and the colon- the colonies would later refuse to comply with the new rule set by the French Revolution. This led to an isolated insurrections between former slaves who were free people and whites. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message: Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday comes again. Monday, Tuesday, So this gives us to part four, the revolution. It kicks off on August 2nd, 1791. Thousands of slaves attended a secret voodoo ceremony in the middle of a forest and as a tropical storm was pretty much coming in. With lightning and thunder taken as signs as omens, a voodoo high priest, Duty Bookman, would give a signal that the thunder and lightning would be the start of the rebellion. And under the clouds of that storm, the slaves armed with years of enslavement, torture, and with a bunch of machetes at hand, they went out and killed their masters. They burnt down plantations, and within the next 10 days, the slaves had controlled the northern province of the area. Uh, the heads of their masters and their wives and their kids were placed on pikes and carried around. Uh, one French That's so- ruthless. So one, so one French soldier reported how the insurgent troops were used to advance to the tune of African music and tribal drums in the midst of a silence only broken by their incantations of their sorcerers. Wow. In the south, September of that year, 13,000 slaves and rebels, led by a person called Romani the Prophetess, who emerged as a leader in the southern province in late 1791. He, is, he pretty much he established himself in an abandoned church and he conducted mass before an upside-down cross where he said that he would be inspired by the Holy Spirit. He took supplies from plantations. From every plantation, he burnt down and occupied two major cities in the south. The National Assembly in Paris would respond in September by revoking the May 15th decree. That rule where like you had to be born of two free parents, they abolished it. So now you had the free, free uh, people of slaves. color and the slaves now joining to fight. Yeah. And they would go from farmland to farmland, from co- mostly in the countryside, burning plantations, killing their own masters. Kill the masters, yeah. And soon after, Port-au-Prince was in flames. And this would bring us to the most important character and perhaps maybe the, the protagonist of the story, if you will, uh, Toussaint Leverture. 
Have you ever heard of that name before? Never. Toussaint Louverture was born into slavery in 1743. Father and his mother were both slaves. But by 1776, he was emancipated and was working for the Coma de Noe, a white creole, right? On August 4th, 1791, he was in the forest during the secret voodoo ceremony that would kick off the Haitian Revolution. And when Bookman ended up dying in November 1791, Toussaint would naturally fill his role as the new leader of the revolution. And the thing is, his first role as, as the leader of the revolution, I put that in quotations, to negotiate with colonial governments, right? With the colonial government, that they would agree to offer their freedom, like guarantee the freedom to slaves and end the lashings of the plantation for peace. They would stop the attack if he just stopped lashing and provided freedom to slaves. The government so he, would, he offered peace, yeah? Yeah. The government would reject uh, pretty much what could be considered the best deal possible. And the thing is, like Haitian at the time, they didn't demand independence. They didn't want any of that. They were kind of like, they kind of, wanted the monarchy to come back because they thought the king would be a lot more relaxed with freedom compared to the white masters who's controlling them. By 1792, so this is pretty much a year later, uh, the slaves had controlled a third of the island. Yep. A surprising success. I mean, like pretty much imagine a rebellion caused by slaves who were considered barbaric or illiterate, controlling a third of the island. Huh. Um, yeah. This caused the National Assembly to realize that something had to give. And on March of 1792, the National Assembly granted civil and political right to, to free men of color in colonies. With the free man. To the free man. Not the slaves. They thought, I think they thought maybe they were the ones who were running the, the show. show. Yeah. On top of that, they would send 6,000 soldiers on the island and a new governor from Paris who, could abolish, who abolished slavery in the north. So in the northern province, slavery was abolished, which pretty much upset the planters. Now, smelling blood in the water, France ended up getting into war with Britain, who saw that France was being, there was a rebellion happening on the island, decided to start a war. France to Britain. Uh, Britain to France. Yeah, you said France. Sorry, yeah. But France got into a war with Great Britain, who saw that. So Britain's like, all right, France is in trouble, let's get into war. Exactly. Um, the Grand Blanc at the time, or the, the, the White Whites in Saint-Domingue, were ha- unhappy with the governor who pretty much abolished slavery, arranged for the British to come and take the colony over, thinking that Britain would maintain slavery. So, so they started giving their allegiance to the British. Wow. So the British prime minister at the time, William Pitt the Younger, uh, believed in maintaining slavery because he feared of copycats' revolts in Jamaica. He was afraid that this would inspire Jamaicans to get up against him. Yep. Also, another plus is that if he could secure the richest colony in the Caribbean for the British. A big cool for him. Exactly. So this would be a bargaining chip, right? Like even he could bargain with France later on. Like, I yeah. have your colony, your richest colony. If not, like if, if it didn't mean it like... Britain would benefit economically. Mozart and Mozart happened in threes. Spain declared war on France as well. So you had the slave rebellion, the British. They, they all smelled blood, yeah. The Spanish. Uh, and it made the deal with the slaves that it would abolish slavery in return if it took the whole land back. Because don't forget, this land was uh, Spanish, right? San Domingo. They wanted it all back. So they made the deal with the slaves that they could have their, like if they take over the whole land, they would abolish the slaves. England and Spain would supply the rebels with food, arms, ammunition, medicine, and advisors. By August 1793, France had about 3,500 soldiers on the island. And to avoid the complete disaster and to salvage something from this global war, France decided to abolish slavery throughout the whole colony. Every French colony abolished slavery. So this was in February 4th, 1794. I think if this makes, if I'm not mistaken, maybe the, France the first country to abolish slavery, if I'm not mistaken. So in February 4th, 1749, France would write the following decree. The slavery of the blacks is abolished in all colonies. It decrees that all men living in the colonies without distinction of color are, fez, are French citizens, enjoying the rights granted to them by the constitution. The constitution also was rectified by the French and it, w- and it included the abolition of slavery, which only went into effect by 1795. It would last from 1795 until a certain uh, emperor 
came and decided to change things a few years later. And despite the racial tension, the abolition was actually met with optimism in uh, Paris Mm -hmm. that even Danton uh, expressed the sentiment that representatives of the French people until now, our decree of liberty have been selfish, only for ourselves. But today we proclaim into the universe and the generations to come that will glory in this decree. It it, uh, echoed the... uh, The proper sentiment of the French Revolution. Yeah, the concept of individual and liberty and all that. Yeah, so by that time, Toussaint didn't stop working with the Spanish army. He was always suspicious of the French, right? By later on that that year, by May, he suddenly decided to go against the Spanish and decided to join the French. Haitians would end up expelling the Spanish from the island. And Toussaint, like, see, Toussaint wasn't anti-white by any sense, but he wanted also the st- slaves to attain the same the same freedoms as people of color, free people of color. His main goal was like, he's like, I want slaves, be slaves to be treated like humans. Exactly. I'm not against white people. I just want them to be human. Mm-hmm. Mind you, the issue of independence from France was also not in their head. They did not want independence from France. To them, it was just like, just make us... Human. human yeah their goal was like the more we could finish this faster the more we could rebuild the island again right so this brings us to another player in the revolution andre regard or regard a mulatto who was low who wasn't keen in, in changing the caste system of uh of like the island because he kind of mulattoes were pretty much put under the white people anyway our dude um he went to fight off the british in the south right only to find that the british were pretty much dying from yellow fever uh 12,000 british men would be buried there Prime Minister Pitt decided to give one last push to conquer the whole island and whatever belonged to France at the time could be his. Sending out an expedition, the largest of its time, 30,000 men in 200 ships went to the island. This was meant to be like the final head blow to France, you know what I mean? The issue was that it was well known that the West Indies was considered that sentence because of yellow fever. Mm -hmm. Soldiers in Dublin and Cork decided to riot instead of going. So the expedition left on 16th of November, 1795, but they were, but it was wrecked by a storm. The ship that got to the island were met with excellent generals who were able to stop them. And other than that, pretty much the soldiers were dying from yellow fever. 10,000 soldiers arrived to the island by June. They were all killed by yellow fever. Uh, it was a human and financial cost that the expedition, the, the expedition mounted so much that people in Britain demanded to withdraw the army from Saint-Domingue. And pretty much bust, yeah. General Simcoe, a British general dispatched at the area, pushed back the Haitians under Toussaint. But in a counter-offensive to stop the like was able to reclaim the land back. On June 7th, they attacked one of the English forts and they were able, though not successful he had hoped, the British were pretty much astonished that this former slave with no military experience was able to conquer the Brits, right? They had the spirit and the land experience too. Yeah. So by July 1797, Simcoe sailed back to London and he demanded for the government to withdraw from the island. March 1798, it was granted. But pretty much everyone was kind of against, like some of them were against it. There was a governor called Alexander Lindsay who tried to urge Britain to stay on it. And Toussaint would send him a message that says, to remember that Jamaica was not far from Saint-Domingue. Just pretty much keep your, yeah. Yeah, like remember we're not far away. Uh, a deal was later reached between the British and Toussaint where they signed a deal to leave the colonies alone. This cost Britain at the time 4 million pounds. And and 100,000 men ended up dying from yellow fever. Big dud. Yeah, exactly. Once settled, Toussaint turned his attention to who? His uh, former friend, Rugat. They started a civil war between two slave uh, rebellions. This was called the War of Knives. So Rugat had like a predominantly mulatto forces, which fought both black and white people to the sword. And that's when Toussaint sought sought the support of the United States. Though hesitant at first, and they were kind of hostile towards him, um, the United States agreed to help him against Rugat, and because Rugat had sided by them by the French National Assembly. Okay. See, it's it's a, such a complicated mess, man. Like yeah. everyone's going against each other. Uh, even though Toussaint was loyal to France, he just wanted this guy out of the system, out of the way. Yeah, yeah. The civil war lasted from 1799 to 1800. 
ultimately, Rigaud would, uh, was exiled to France on October 1st, where he was captured as a prisoner of war by the Americans. Another few clashes with Toussaint uh, and the French until he controlled the whole island, right? Toussaint led an invasion into the Spanish Saint- Santo Domingo on December 1800. He was going all out and he freed the slaves from the Spanish colonies on January 3rd, 1801. That same year, Toussaint issued a constitution decreed he would be governor for life and called for black autonomy and sovereignty. And to get the economy back on track, this is where you kind of see the, the double side of history. He reinstated forced labor, not slavery, forced labor, where workers received somewhat of a wage uh, but and they weren't getting tortured by people, but conditions also weren't that great. But he felt that it was important to have forced labor to reestablish the economy again. Oh, what a he stuck up for you and you sold him out. You should be ashamed of yourself. I mean, the country have, it went through a revolution, right? And it went through a mini war. Like you know, and this is something I always wondered. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss it later. We'll discuss it later. Mm-hmm. When okay, so this brings us to a new emperor across the Atlantic who um, goes by the name of Napoleon. So Napoleon had pretty much controlled France uh, after the turmoils of the French Revolution, and he dispatched a large force of French soldiers and warships to reclaim the island, right? Because he's like, this is the bread and butter of France. He's going to use this to fund France's expeditions. So he sent his um, brother-in-law, Charles Leclerc, under the instruction... (laughs) Uh, under the instruction to reestablish the pre-revolutionary ideals of of slavery, sorry, and to take the former Spanish part of the island. Napoleon also had ordered that Toussaint to be treated with respect until the French controlled the region. That's only when they could arrest him. So keep him keep him by our side until... No, no, like fight him with respect and only arrest him once we we're done like fighting him. Like, okay. I think to treat him like a, as a normal general. I really so don't... So he didn't want him to... Okay, that was an interesting move, yeah. Maybe that old school ethics of, uh, you know, because it's like such like a... warrior thing, yeah. yeah. So Napoleon also coordinated with Thomas Jefferson to have Saint-Domingue economically blockaded. You know, which, I mean, like, given everything, how many times would America end up doing this to a Caribbean country or a Latin American country? Just economically blockade them to death. So Jefferson agreed. And uh, America uh, blockaded Haiti, okay? Uh, Toussaint's lieutenant at the time, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, a former slave liberated during the revolution, met Leclerc and his army in the, bat- in the battle of uh, March 1802. Dessalines would be defeated and he would uh, effectively change sides at the end of March and join the French, betraying Toussaint. Oh. 5,000 soldiers uh, pretty much at that time died of yellow fever. 5,000 more were hospitalized. But regardless, uh, Toussaint, seeing his army deceit- defeated, surrendered uh no one really knows why he decided to quit at that time like it was maybe fatigue that's what i think you know because by then if you think about it, the revolution started 17 uh we're now in 1802 right 1791 so like, 10, like 10 years 11 years 11 of fighting, yeah. of fighting uh pretty much leclerc gave that his word that slavery would not be restored right uh and that black people would be admitted to the french army as officers but and that toussaint would be given a plantation on his return to france uh, of course, none of these stuck. Uh, Toussaint was later betrayed and arrested and shipped to France. He would die a few months later in prison in France. Mm-hmm. Dessalines became a governor of Saint-Marc, and he was pretty much controlling as a tyrant. Uh, however, the current surrender of Toussaint did not uh, spell the end of the resistance, right? Guerrilla warfare continued, and France would go on to stage a lot of mass executions uh, throughout the whole country. So French would kill people by firing squads and hangings, right? And they would ultimately create something where they would tie people into the bottom of ships and they would burn sulfur. So the sulfur dioxide would seep into the bottom, of, like the bottom cabins of ships, killing people. 
Smart people. Effectively yeah. making like the world's first gas chamber. It's, it's crazy how the science they use to like right? just, just to kill Like people, by just yeah. burning sulfur and then letting it seep into the... Dessalines would later desert Leclerc after seeing all this and take leadership of a new, renewed revolt. So he would go back to revolt um, against uh, the French. Again, like I told you, people are flipping sides a lot, man. It got, like, shit got serious. Like, they were getting massacred by yellow fever and by fighting. Leclerc heard all this, like, while dying from yellow fever and ordered the massacres of all the blacks in the island before dying. Wow. This was met with Dussault, uh, Dessalier, sorry, who massacred French white people in response. And he's like, go carte blanche, massacre all the white people in, Fr- in the island. Yeah. On top of that, on May 1803, Britain and France again went to war with each other. The French and the Napoleonic Wars kicked off, mm-hmm. ensuring that uh, Dessalier would win it by November. On January 1st, 1804, Dessalier officially declared the independence and remained the island Haiti after its original name, which was coined by the native people at the time, like 300 years ago. Haiti, of course, struggled economically during the constant war. The high price of their freedom, 200,000 people died from 1791 to 1803. So this is a 12-year revolution. Oh, yeah. Soon after, pretty much the declaration of a new, a new republic, Dessalier would massacre the remaining white people of the island, making it effectively the first ever black state. So Haiti became the first independent state in, in Latin America, right? The first post-colonial independent mm-hmm. black-led nation. And the only nation whose independence was gained through a successful slave rebellion. The country was damaged, of course, agriculturally devastated. For sure, yeah. They were economically blockaded by the United States, who did not lift it. Uh, and the country had to rebuild, right? So he kind of adopted a new serfdom, which is like what we see with Russia, like a slave class mm-hmm. or a servant class who would rule the farmland, and proclaimed that every citizen had to either belong, either was a farmer or a soldier. Unless if you were skilled, then your skilled labor would be implemented to okay, whatever, you know what I mean? But many of the workers complained and likened his new labor system to slavery, which caused him so much resentment between his people, right? It was um, classist in the end again, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And workers were pretty much given f- a fourth of all the wealth produced from the labor. Nevertheless, he was successful in rebuilding his country. He raised production up. Thus, it was like slowly rebuilding the economy. But um, he paid a large sum to liberate all the slave ships that were coming off the coast of Haiti. So he would actually pay uh, slavers to free all the slaves that were nice, on the coast. Yeah. Uh, he paid for the expenses... Uh, of the return to thousands of Haitian re- uh, refugees that left during the revolution. He paid for them to come back. But eventually he would get assassinated by one of Toussaint's other generals, Henry Christophe, who succeeded in controlling the north. Another of his generals, Alexander Piton, would preside over the mulatto rule in the south, which kind of created a bit of infighting between the both, right? Life in Haiti was an uphill battle. Democracy would run against aristocratic leaders, social and racial conflicts that still won't go unbated, Right. Environmental degradation didn't even help. I mean, there was little peace in the years after. The young nation found itself again in a civil war between the north and the south, right? Eventually, it would be completely controlled by Henry Gustave, who would crown himself king. France at the time refused to recognize Haiti's independence. It did not exist. Uh, Thomas Jefferson would also refuse any diplomatic relations with Haiti until 1862. Because keep in mind, Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. Yeah. A successful black slave rebellion... Exactly, it was personal and he was worried about his people, yeah. Yeah, so the whole three slaves things really bothered them, you know, for a founding father who really pursued yep. freedom. Pretty racist. When, ob- when American abolition was becoming something to talk about and becoming something prominent, relationships between America 
and Haiti resumed because it was kind of helping the cause to end slavery in the United States. But the biggest damage that would cripple Haiti, and I think until now it would cripple them, was that the government had to pay indemnities to France for its independence. It had to pay France for its independence, for its diplomatic and economic relationships. To restart an economic relationship, they had to pay. How much did they have to pay? 150 million gold francs. Wow. Now, I don't know if you've read recently on the news about Haiti asking for reparations from France. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's because of this. They're saying we paid you 150 million gold francs. For no reason whatsoever. Now, you want to know how much is 150 million gold francs in today's money? Want to take a guess? $21 billion. Wow. So Haiti was pretty much bankrupt at that time. It took out a loan from the French banks to pay for the loan and ended up paying about 17 to $20 billion or eight, 90 to 100 million francs. <laughs> this this just entered Haiti into a circle of debt and poverty. I mean, it will cripple any nation. For sure, yeah. In 1915, the United States would invade the island and leave by 1934 because America can't go a whole decade without trying to shoot a bullet in another country. But America left Haiti after altering its constitution to allow white people back into Haiti. So what did this revolution mean to the world? Well, first and most importantly, the failure of Napoleon to capture Haiti this pretty much destroyed his ambition to have a presence in the Americas. And he was hoping to use the United States as a supply center for Haiti, using its ports to take products to Haiti or to take products from Haiti to France. Um, Of course, with the failure to capture the island, uh, Napoleon would end up selling Louisiana to the United States for a bargain price, effectively adding Louisiana to the part of the United States and pretty much ending any chance France had of conquering the new continent. Which, um, in America, they tend to study the Louisiana Purchase, but they tend to leave out how it was an effect, a cause and effect of the ha- Haitian Revolution. Yeah, it's probably just because I think history generally doesn't go to that route as well, right? No, it doesn't. So... That's a, that's a big uh, cause. So that means pretty much America had Louisiana, New Orleans as a port, which meant that, um, which resulted in thriving the slave trade for the United States even further by opening up the Mississippi, the Mississippi Valley, pretty much internalizing the slave trade. Another thing was that um, now that the Civil War and Revolution pretty much waged on for a decade, it left a vacuum in the market for items such as... Uh, for items such as uh, sugar and coffee. So that had to be filled up by someone or some country. That, be, that ended up being filled up by Cuba, making Cuba the, so the central hub for sugar for since Haiti. Of course, that would eventually lead to Cuba being the next eye for colonial expansion from the United States and Spain, hence leading to this French, uh, French the Spanish-American War. I mean, and how relevant is Cuba is until now, right? Exactly. When, uh, you know, when they say that most of the Cubans, Cubans who complain in Cuba about Castro are plantation owners or sons of, or sons of plantation owners, you know? Um, what else, what was else that caused an effect of Haiti? Well, the, rev- the revolution also inspired rebellions up and down the continent, as you know, making heroes out of the Haitian leaders. So Toussaint, Levature became a national symbol for rebellion. Haiti became the place of refuge for a lot of freedom fighters. So you had people from Francisco de Miranda, Simon Bolivar, to Mexican nationalists such as Javier Mina, who would all kind of like, would pass by Haiti before they went back to spark a revolution in their continent. Haiti would also provide fuel for both, the, uh, for both sides of the slavery debate. 
So British anti-slave trade activism frightened to a, into a pause in 1791. Pretty much um, they were afraid that the revolution at Haiti would become widespread. And they feared that uh, with what was happening with the French Revolution, this could be a cause and effect. So in 1807, uh, the British Parliament passed a law ending international slave trade to its empire. In the near future, the British government and the ruling class, confident that their own abolition of, tra- of the trade had provided them with some sort of um, in what, what historian Christopher Brown would call moral capital over the world. So because Britain ended, ended the slave trade, it thought that it had the moral superiority compared to other empires. And it would use this to wait, like it would use the weight of their gov- growing economic influence to push Spain, France and Portugal to abolishing their own Atlantic slave trade. So in a sense, I think there was that fear because of especially the anger that came from the revolution and all the all the people that were like slaughtered uh, and how France lost so much power. So was it morals or was it, uh, damn, this could happen to us? It could, but like at the same point, like what I mean by morals is that a lot of countries would seek assistance from Britain. I'd rather be under Britain who would abolish slavery than being under France, uh, Spain and Portugal. And then France, Spain and Portugal fearing that like, countries will start allying with Britain decide that it's time for us to abolish slavery yeah because England came off as the just the, colonialist yeah. again other people would debate the fact that we need to be more stern with slavery because look at what happened with Haiti uh, you know what I mean that these are barbaric people who need to be tamed more severely funny a fact that Hegel uh, the philosopher his master slave dialectics was initially inspired by ancient Greece but it was also more refined when he was started he started reading about the Haitian revolution so the whole dialecticism or his slave master dialectics were inspired by what he was reading about the Haitian revolution about slaves revolting against their masters especially slaves placed in a different place against masters who were from a different place it was like the ultimate like yeah like you see with the the Greek slave uprising with Spartacus you see with Haiti I don't think you ever it was the first ever uprising of two different sects of people fighting in a third separate land right yeah and there's more other things that have been inspired by Haiti I mean like Black Panthers would use heavily Haitian um, heroes as their symbols yeah so um, so this is the question now but why is this revolution not studied or why is it not on par with the French Revolution or the say the American Revolution? Do you think that there's much there's suppression in the from the world in order like that the reason why it's not studied is because the world has tried to suppress this revolution so it, it wouldn't have inspired more slaves to uprise? I think it just um or is think, it racism? I think, I think black history generally gets lumped into just Martin Luther, Malcolm X, uh, uh, Harriet Tubman. You know, so I, I think they just keep with the mainstream status quo standard black history whereas other history history generally always goes through the same things right world war one world war two hitler french revolution uh history books i'm not sure about current generation but i mean now they're studying about the iraq war a bit more seriously like gulf war one and two right Mm. but history books for the past 30 40 years has been so stagnant in high schools where it's the same topics every single time and there's no room for development so i think it's that and i think in generally 
especially in the Western culture and not just all over, black history isn't as focal. Because even in uni, when I took uh, intro to international relations and sociology, it was always Malcolm X yeah. and, and Martin Luther King, right? It, w- it wasn't deep. It wasn't to the root of it, right? I think there's a bit of a stigmatism when it comes to um, in studying black revolutions in the sense that like by you trying to make it, by you just focusing on quote unquote, let's say peaceful civil rights move- movements or by peaceful people you kind of uh, take away that no sometimes i mean i'm sorry to say this but violence is the solution i mean yeah but the french uh, you revolution need a revolution too. no no but the french revolution was a white movement of bourgeois people taking over nobility if but if you thought say in the 1960s in the height of the civil rights movement about the haitian revolution how slaves oppressed slaves the lowest class uprooted and defended true true, true. what what are you going to inspire True, and I do think the history books up until early OOs never shifted from 60s, 70s, 80s topics, right? Because as much as I appreciate the French Revolution, it is pretty much bourgeois, like a, a, a new bourgeois class taking over. It's not slave uproot, it's not workers. And don't forget, it's about the direct impact. So the French Revolution has direct impact on Western culture. Exactly. In terms of white people and... Uh, Whereas the Haitian has direct impact on how black culture has derived from. And history books in the schools is always more governed by predominantly white culture, right? Especially North American and all that. But even in, uh, like, let's say in the Middle East, it's either Islamic culture, which is in the history books, or the Western culture is whatever is popular in England and America, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is stuff that's relevant to their culture and to them. The French Revolution is more relevant than the Haitian Revolution, right? Yeah. I'm curious to see what Latin American history classes sound like. like that's that's something because our scope of history classes is what's the mainstream Western scope because we went to a Western school and all that, right? But mm-hmm. I, I would love to hear if someone can let us know what Latin American high school history looked like in you know, Latin American countries, right? Or what African high school stuff is like, right? Yeah, for sure. Because I'm sure it will still be the general topics, but there must be a one-off topic where they focus on something that we didn't focus on as much, whether it's the Latin revolutions in bigger depth or, you know? For sure. So I'd love to know that. That's something that would be interesting. In South America, Latin America, Jamaica. What do they learn in Haitian uh, classes, right? Mm-hmm. So that, those are stuff that we don't know about. But in the general scope, you're right. And Haitian revolutions often forgotten and not spoken of. It is because like at the end of the day, like we were saying, the Haitian revolution, it transformed the international landscape, right? It was um, in a world that was ruled by monarchs and colonial empires in a continent that was pretty much in an area of the world where it's all colonies, right? Haiti became the first black republic after the United States, you know? It was only the second state to claim independence from Europe. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. Like, who's True, even in the American Revolution study that I I remember studying, Haitian was never part of the discussion, its influence or anything. No. You think it would at least be a a chapter in the big discussion of the American Revolution, but it's not even there in the history books. I'm not sure about nowadays with kids, but it was never there, right? It's something we learned later on when we grew up. Exactly. Exactly. So this is why I picked this topic, right? Like, I mean, it kind of did start from uh, when we did the episode on nationalism. I was kind of fascinated by Haitian Revolution. I mean, it's something I've heard about. Um, I've heard of Toussaint Leverture before. I never really delved into it. But yeah, so then it was been, it's always been in the back of my mind. And the reason why 
the more I read it, the more I thought it was a perfect choice because um, it's an example to understand the possibilities and entrapments of revolution. So like there were benefits to this revolution. You know what I mean? Literally, the next leaders of the Haitian revolutions were a generation away from slavery, if you think about it. Yeah. Like literally some of the leaders, their fathers and mothers were slaves. That's why when it comes to reparations and all that, they're still demanding it because it's still quite fresh. And then you have, uh, but then again, you have the entrapments of revolution where there was a lot of infighting, civil wars between each other. The North and South got divided so many times. And the different classes within the black community there, right? Exactly. Because ultimately, it wasn't about black and white as much as it was in the beginning. But it became a slave and slave Master. masters, regardless of race. Exactly. Like, it was, like we said, it was uh, the European owners, the European merchants, and plantation owners. So it was plantation owners. European merchants, then the mulattoes, then, then the mulattoes, then the black uh, plantation, yeah. which were like who were the merchants, free POCs, yeah, yeah, and then the slaves. So it was a clear hierarchy of and, stuff. And you had some people who sided with up, and you had some people who sided with down. Yeah, you had. I'm sure you had the black people who were like, well, I'm free. Why should Why I? Should, have, yeah, 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 exactly. For sure, yeah. Um, and again, and it's interesting because like what we see today with revolutions that even succeed and fail today. It, what, what causes most failures in revolution is the infighting that happens after the revolution. I mean, you'd see this again with the French Revolution. Like Napoleon was able to get control because of the infightings that happened yeah. within. And that's probably why Haiti never uh, reaches potential. I mean, they had to pay the reparations for sure. Which was completely like insane. Like To be honest, like at first I'm like, oh, okay, Like I heard about the reparation issues. Like To tell a country, oh, you want it to be independent, pay me $12 billion. I mean, the thing is, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's not something that's been abolished since then. America forced Vietnam to pay reparations for its, for the war it caused. But it's this idea like... Yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, yeah, and, and then that infighting probably caused so much delay and potential progress against you know the infighting between uh the the revolutionaries at the time as well exactly and you had also again another thing that we see every day is the proxy wars we had at, when there was a revolution happening you had britain stepping in to try to take control at some point spain trying to take control america trying to take control um all the all to capture this island to exploit its resources i mean what's the difference between that and what's happening today with proxy wars you know what i mean a revolution broke out in syria powers came in and they're like oh here we go and they each handle a sector of it now exactly that, yeah. it's pretty much the same thing history does repeat itself and again america sanctioned uh haiti because it felt that the revolution in haiti is um, what's threatening its position. When the Cuban Revolution happened, America sanctioned Cuba because yeah. it threatened its position. They don't want a ripple effect on their exactly. side. Yeah. Um, and the people, and the thing is like, and it's this idea of like people, again, seeing people as nothing more but just labor to exploit, you know? Uh, and, and nations as just a pawn in their big scheme of keeping power and interest right yeah and um yeah and again haiti today is suffering because of this i don't think it's uh i don't think it like it had any moment of where it could have succeeded i mean from the get it was doomed to fail yeah i don't think you've ever you'll ever see a successful proxy war where the country comes out of it yeah unscathed like all the proxy wars i mean they've all not come out of it like even vietnam and all those and Iraq and I all mean, these countries, like they never come out of it uh, yeah. as a thriving nation anymore. I think Vietnam is uh, is becoming one. I mean, it's finally, it's, yeah, 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 it's recovering from it for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, I think this uh, this goes to show you that the fight for freedom isn't easy. I don't think it was meant to be, right? I think this is where we're gonna. I want to close off the episode, so I want to end with a quote from uh, Toussaint Louverture. He said, "They have in me struck down, but the trunk of the tree." 
the roots are many and deep, they will shoot up again. And I think that's, and that was the Powerful Haitian stuff, Revolution. Yeah. Um, any last comments you want to say about it? No, man, I think you nailed it there with that quote as well. So I think that's all we have for today's episode. Um, it's going to be a bit of a long one. I'm trying, I'm going to try to edit it down. But yeah, but uh, thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed our topic on the Haitian Revolution. If you guys are interested in covering other revolutions, uh, you could follow us through at convo underscore B-T-W-E on Instagram, a conversation before the world ends on Facebook. And yeah, give us a rating and a review. It does help with the algorithms. And I think um, that's all. So thank you guys and have a good night. Take care. what's happening and that is panic.